First reading for this, the fifth Sunday of Easter, comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the sixth and seventh chapters. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor and Timon, and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And this is the word of the Lord. Christ has risen from the dead. He has given him dominion over the works of his hands. Epistle reading comes from the first letter of St. Peter, the second chapter. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, 
and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for a sermon this morning, comes according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And this is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father. And from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As some of you might know, one of my favorite hymns is Built on the Rock, the Church Doth Stand. It's just such a powerful tune with even more powerful words. And so in June of 2006, when I attended the ordination of one of my seminary classmates, I was kind of excited. Because I had heard that the choir was going to be singing it, and it is a perfect song for an ordination. But then when I got there, and I looked at the bulletin, I thought there had been a little mistake. It wasn't a huge change, and in fact, there are many who wouldn't even think it was any change at all. But you see, the title of the song was no longer Built on the Rock, but Built on a Rock. And sure enough, that one little word meant some big changes. Now, first of all, that version of the song had jazzed up the tune. That is, made it awful. But 
changing that one word had totally changed the meaning of the song as well. No longer does the church stand because it is built upon the rock of Jesus Christ, but it's because it's built on a rock, some indefinite rock. Who can say exactly what it might be? The glorious truth of that glorious hymn had been undermined just by changing that one little word, the. Now, how many times a day do you use the word the without even thinking about it? How many times have I used it in the sermon so far? It's one of the most common words in the English language. So common, in fact, that we don't even capitalize it in titles because it's considered just a short, insignificant little filler word most of the time. But oh, the power of the. The nails things down, makes things definitive, removes a lot of ambiguity. If you've been to a White House, we'll all yawn because there are millions of White Houses across the nation. But if you've been to the White House, that's a little more impressive. Tell people that you visited a Grand Canyon, you'll probably kind of have to clarify where exactly you went and what exactly you saw. But tell people you visited the Grand Canyon, and we all know what you're talking about. A baseball team from Chicago could be Little League, high school, college, semi-pro, whatever. But the baseball team from Chicago means, of course, that you are talking about the best major league team in the city, which is obviously the... (coughs) (coughs) The makes a big difference. The matters because the is definitive. It is distinct, and it is absolute. Which is why it's so important for us to notice the the's in our gospel reading today. As he sits at the table with his disciples the night before his arrest and execution, Jesus takes the time and the effort to teach them the very, very important truth about himself. Jesus is not a way, a truth, a life. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Now, as sinners, that makes us uncomfortable. We prefer to think that Jesus is just one of many ways to get to heaven. Because, let's face it, that version of Jesus seems a lot more open-minded. It seems more loving, more tolerant, more accepting. If Jesus is just a way, one of the really good ways, sure, we'll grant that, but there are other ways to heaven, of course, we like to think. Because that leaves us some wiggle room. And we don't have to think those uncomfortable thoughts about our unbelieving friends going to hell. We can just agree to disagree because I have Jesus and he is my way. But you can find your way. All paths lead to heaven eventually, right? It fits much better with our postmodern relativistic society that says everyone can just kind of make up whatever they want and consider it to be their truth. And so if Jesus is just a way, we can all get along. We don't have to put ourselves out there. We don't have to offend our friends who don't believe in Jesus by telling them they really ought to believe in Jesus. We can just sit back, 
do nothing as we would prefer to do, and let the world carry on without us. But unlike what our wicked world believes, our feelings, our wishes, our wants, they don't change reality. No matter how much we wish it wasn't so as sinners, Jesus is very clear that he and he alone is the only way to heaven. The extra inclusion of those thes, it's important. He doesn't just say, eh, I am one way, but here are others if you don't like this particular version. No. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Meaning there is one and only one, and he is speaking to you right now. And if that wasn't clear enough, he then goes on to make it even clearer and ties them all together. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, how in the world can Jesus make such a lofty claim? How can he have the guts to sit there and say, he alone is the way to heaven, and nobody comes to God the Father unless they do it his way? Well, he can do that because he is God himself in the flesh. Philip, on hearing this, says, Hey, Jesus, I mean, we believe in you and all that, but if you show us God the Father, wow, that would really help us be committed. And Jesus replies, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God. The Father and the Son are one. It is the great mystery of the Trinity that when we hear the words of Jesus, we hear the words of the Father and the Holy Spirit. To know the Son is to know the Father completely. And so Jesus knows the way to the Father because he is it. Jesus alone is the way to heaven. And not whatever version of Jesus you find more tolerable. Not a made-up version, not the one that the world pushes on you, not the one that's watered down and says, well, sure, he may have said those things, but let's pretend he didn't. Only Jesus, as he revealed himself to us in Scripture, there are no other options. There are no alternate paths, no my own kind of Jesus. Jesus himself, in the flesh, as he has revealed himself, is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So isn't this a little bit exclusive? Isn't this kind of limiting of people? Isn't this kind of making the gate awfully narrow, expecting everybody to believe just one thing? Doesn't it mean that God is keeping lots and lots of people away from heaven by not opening up all the gates and windows and doors and anything else and just letting everybody pour in? Absolutely not. Because the word of Jesus Christ, it is not just for a few people here and there. It is for all people. The truth of scripture has been protected and preserved from generation to generation. His sacrificial death on the cross, it wasn't just for some really good people. It was for filthy, wretched sinners who were so stuck in their sin that they had no hope of ever getting out. In other words, it was for you. 
And it was for me. And it was for everybody who has ever walked this earth. Jesus Christ is not exclusive. He suffered and died to pay the penalty of every single sin ever committed. His love is not limited. He died for all. His word is for all. His word calls out to all people. And all those who look to him in faith, they will be saved. But those who reject his precious eternal gift, they condemn themselves. Those who live in areas where God's word has been silenced, sadly, if they don't hear, how can they believe? Which is why we need to stop being so complacent. And we need to share that word with others. We as Christians who have been cleansed of our sin, we who have the confidence of knowing the way, the truth, and the life, who have been given so much by our gracious Father, we need to tell our friends and our neighbors and our enemies and everyone that Jesus alone is the way to heaven. And guess what? That's not easy. It's not always pleasant especially in a world that despises the word of God, that hates the idea of something being exclusive, of thinking that there is one and only one way to heaven. That message is not pleasant to many people. It won't always be well received. There will be times when we will be punished for it, maybe even like Stephen, called to give our very lives. But when we consider what is at stake, how can we remain silent? How can we sit back and watch so many people that we know disbelieve, reject the word of God, and just watch them and wave as they walk down the road to hell? We share the word of Jesus Christ because his word is for all. His salvation is for all. And as we share our faith, we ourselves grow in it. And we are filled with more and more joy as we recognize the power of God's word in our lives. No, that doesn't always give us earthly peace. As Jesus tells the disciples that whatever we ask in his name, he will do, he is not giving us a blank check for us to live in the lap of luxury. All that we do, it is to glorify God, not ourselves. When we ask things of Jesus, we ask in faith trusting that he knows what is best. Now remember, Jesus himself is speaking these words at the Last Supper, just before his arrest and crucifixion on behalf of all mankind. Was that really earthly peace and comfort? Far from it. And if Jesus himself suffered like that, why would we presume or to think that we won't ever have to? Why would we think that we would have it better than Jesus himself? But even in trial and tribulation, we have spiritual peace. Knowing that if everything is taken from us, knowing that even if our very lives are destroyed, we have eternal life in heaven. We have been cleansed of our sin. We have been given the greatest gift ever, and it is a gift that this world cannot take away from us. Not because of how well we obey. Not because we found one of the many, many paths to heaven and it just happens to be a really sweet one. But because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He gave everything to save you from sin and death and the devil. 
He is the one who sought you out when you were lost and dead in your sin. He's the one who continually forgives you day in and day out. He's the one who died in your place, rose again for you, and promises that he will come again to take you to be with him in that paradise that he has prepared for you. Jesus Christ, God himself, has done it all for you, which is why you can be so confident of your salvation. He didn't leave anything for you to mess up. He has done it all, and He is Almighty. He is not just a Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He is not a God. He is the one true and triune God. He is not one option among many viable choices. Jesus Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. For you and for me, and for everyone throughout all the world, throughout all history. All those who hear his voice and look to him in faith, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter what they used to believe, they will be saved. And they will live forever in that glorious paradise that God himself has prepared for us. Jesus Christ alone is the Messiah who paid the price of your sin, who proclaims us to be holy and innocent and righteous in the eyes of God, despite our sin. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, by no other name in heaven or on earth or under the earth, you are forgiven of all of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.